today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Self-surrender and self-sacrifice. And that's the battle that we see going on here. But you know what, beloved? That's the battle that every one of us face every moment of every day that we live once we come into relationship with Jesus Christ. We battle over this whole idea of self-surrender and self-sacrifice in order that Christ might be all in our lives. Have you ever been on a diet? Maybe you gave yourself a goal to reach for a big event or to get healthy. You wanted to lose a certain amount of weight or get a certain result at the doctor. But then, unfortunately, someone brings your favorite snack to work or gives you a gift card to your favorite restaurant. Today, we will hear from Pastor David regarding self-sacrifice and surrender. Just like with our diets, our Christian life needs to reflect these habits. It's not easy, but it's necessary and so worth the struggle. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Surrendered Life. God, the book of Luke, chapter 4, is where we're at today as we continue our journey verse by verse through the book of Luke. We're now at that time that uh, Jesus is entering into ministry. Remember, we've been speaking over the last couple of weeks of the baptism of John, that we spoke of Jesus coming to John to be baptized, and that that baptism was, in essence, an, an anointing by God the Father as Jesus prepares to enter into ministry. And as he comes into ministry, one of the first things that we find is a time of a trial, a time of temptation. We're going to look at that this morning. In Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. And then Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when, he had, when it had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Verse 9. 
Then he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. What we find here is the setting of some intense, intense spiritual warfare. As we see at at this place, at this point in time, all within really one sentence, the, the first two verses there become actually one sentence. And in that one sentence, we see Jesus, the lover of our soul, pitched against the devil, the devourer of our soul. In the same sentence, we see the the Holy Spirit is filling and leading Christ while the devil is bringing temptation to Christ. In preparation for the battle that's going to be taking place, Jesus empties himself through a time of, of fasting and prayer. We see that there in the first couple of verses. While the devil's strategy is to entice Jesus to build up self for self's sake, and that's the argument, that's the temptation that he throws at him throughout this section, Jesus has spent a time for 40 days fasting, literally emptying himself of self. And so this battle we have before us, though, it's not a battle over food. It's not, hey, since you're hungry, turn this stone into bread. Now, it's not really a battle over food. It's not even a battle over incorrect worship style. Jesus, or Satan tells Jesus, you you need to worship me. And Jesus says, no, I worship only God. But it's not really about worship style. It's not even about self-preservation as Satan takes Jesus to the high pinnacle of the temple and says, hey, cast yourself off and God will send angels to protect you. No, the, the battle, the very basis of the battle is over self-surrender and self-sacrifice. And that's the battle that we see going on here. But you know what, beloved? That's the battle that every one of us face every moment of every day that we live once we come into relationship with Jesus Christ. We battle over this whole idea of self-surrender and self-sacrifice in order that Christ might be all in our lives. I tell you, literally, with, with the greatest sincerity of my heart, with the, the highest intensity that I can get, that as you and I fight this battle, and you realize it's not a daily battle. It is a moment-by-moment moment battle that we fight. That it comes, uh, this, this battle over self-surrender, this battle over self-sacrifice versus our pride, our ego, and our own personal desire for the recognition of man, that that is the battle of the ages. From the garden until the very time that Jesus calls an end of all things, the very battle of the ages. It's the battle of self, fighting against surrendering to the plan and the purpose of God. It's the battle of self, fighting against personal and meaningful sacrifice in our daily walk and journey with God. 
As Jesus here enters into this battle, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's led by the Holy Spirit. And in addition to that, or or even actually better than that, in order to be completely true in his life with the Father, he has this time of fasting so that he's absolutely surrendered to the will of the Father. And already in his life, there's been this demonstration of humility. There's been a demonstration of submission to the plan and to the purpose of the Father. You remember as we've been going through Luke, back when he was 12 years old, his parents were looking for him. They found him there in the temple speaking with the teachers. And they asked him, well, what are you doing here? Why are you doing this? He said, didn't you know, I have to be about my father's business. He was submitted to the father's plan, purpose, and business all of his life. Paul tells us in the book of Philippians, he says that Jesus, though being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Jesus is God in human flesh, and yet he willingly humbled himself and came as servant of the Father, servant of the Most High God, all through his ministry. He willingly submitted himself to the Father's direction in everything throughout the gospel record. We see this in Jesus' life, that again, Father, I've I've come to do your will, to do your plan. And all through his life, he's faithful in doing that. And here, in this section, in Luke chapter 4, we see the spirit of the living God leading him into the wilderness. And it's interesting, in Mark's gospel record, he uses the term or the word that the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness. It's a much more intense word, and we see that word used throughout Mark's gospel record, the Greek word there that speaks of driving him into that. It's the same word that Mark uses as in, in when he speaks of casting out demons. That's the intensity of it, to cast out the Spirit, drove him, or literally cast him into the wilderness. But don't confuse that with, with the thought that, well, maybe Jesus was unwilling or, or even hesitated in any way with the call and the leading of the Spirit. I believe that more than anything else, it was simply a demonstration of the intensity of all that was going to take place. Immediately after his anointing, after his baptism, the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. By Satan, the one who's also known as the devil, the one that Isaiah knew as Lucifer, the son of the morning, the one that John related to us was the serpent of Genesis and the dragon of Revelation. Jesus is driven into the wilderness for a time of temptation, but he doesn't go empty-handed. He doesn't enter it alone. In Luke 4, it's very clear he is filled with the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit. Beloved, that's the most wonderful condition and place you and I can ever be found. 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to be led by the Holy Spirit. When you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, because we're, we've emptied ourselves of self in order that Christ might be all in all in our life, in order that we might hear and understand and be directed by the wooing of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Beloved, that and only then are we able to be able to declare what the psalmist declared. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because I know that you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I can't do that in the flesh. If I'm in the flesh and if I'm not being led by the Spirit, I go through the shadow of death, guess what? I'm crying out. I'm crying out, help me, because I can't stand. There is no peace. There is no calmness. It's when we're led by the Spirit, when we're filled by the Spirit, and we go through these presses in life that we can really have that kind of peace. When I know that I'm being led by the Spirit, when I know that my life is filled with the Spirit, then I can sing along with the words of the hymn writer that says that though Satan should buffet and though trials should come, it's well with my soul. Beloved, that's what the Lord is calling each one of us to live our lives as. Not just on an occasional basis, but on our normal Christian life should be that way. Just as a side note here, if you struggle in your life with doubt, you struggle with fear and it seems to overwhelm you on on regular and consistent ways, perhaps the very first thing you need to consider is whether or not you are living in obedience to God through a holy surrendered life, filled with the Holy Spirit and being led by the Spirit of God rather than doing it your way. If you do it your way, more often than not, you're going to be overwhelmed with fear. You're going to be overwhelmed with doubt. I also know that there's medical situations that come into play, but in the general, the normal sense, the major sense, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are being led by the Holy Spirit, even when we go through these rough times, we can have that peace that passes all understanding. We can have that calmness in the midst of every storm. We have the power to be able to resist temptation. Luke describes both the battle of the spiritual as well as the battle of the physical. Says in verse 2 there that he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterwards, when it had ended, he was hungry. This was a time of extreme fasting. 40 days is an extremely long time to fast. As a matter of fact, medically, a a 40-day fast takes a very serious toll on our body. Outside of those that might have some particular medical issues, just about any of us can survive a water-only three-day fast, okay? I know some of us really struggle with a six-hour fast, but uh, really and truly, uh, just about any of us, physically and medically, outside of medical issues, we can survive a a three-day water-only fast. Because the hunger that we feel in a 24 or 48 or a 72-hour fast is what they call a, a, a memory hunger. It's not so much a body hunger, it's a memory hunger. Our taste buds desire the taste of food. We emotionally desire even the very act of of eating, 
of receiving food. We habitually crave the very aspect of foods in those short hours. And the cravings are, are much, much stronger if your diet, if your normal diet includes stuff that's high in salt or high in sugar, a lot of processed foods. It becomes harder and harder for you to fast. Why? Because your body becomes so accustomed to those things. But here Jesus, in the fullness of his humanity, he fasts for 40 days. He's now in a dangerous physical state. His, his physical strength was now suffering and really and truly in his humanity, there was great risk at this point. He was truly physically hungry. And so we see in verse 3, the devil comes to him and says, if you are the son of God, then command this stone to become bread. Don't be fooled. Satan was well aware of who Jesus was. He wasn't questioning him in some kind of test. Hmm, you know... You look like you're the son of God, but I need some ID. I need some ID to make sure that you really are. No, that's not what's going on here. As a matter of fact, the Greek structure of the sentence brings out better to simply say, since you are the son of God, or in view of the fact that you are the son of God, Satan knew that Jesus had a legitimate need or a desire for food. 40 days of fasting, he was hungry. And here Satan tempts him to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. What do you mean illegitimate way? Couldn't Jesus have just turned the stone into bread? What's wrong with that? There's no problem in that, but who would have been leading him? Would it have been the Spirit of God that says, Jesus, hey, you did the 40-day fast, now turn this stone into bread? No, wasn't, wasn't the Spirit of God that was leading. It was Satan himself that says, hey, you're hungry, turn this stone into bread. A legitimate need, Satan tries to get him to fulfill that need in an illegitimate way. But Jesus didn't respond to Satan in that physical way. His flesh was undoubtedly weak. He knew that the response that he needed to make to Satan had to be in the spirit. Beloved, for you and I, most of the battles that you and I lose to temptation in our life is because we try to fight them in the flesh rather than in the spirit. We try to say, well, you know, I, I'm going to deny, I'm going to stop, rather than crying out to the Spirit of God to give us strength, to give us the ability to be able to overcome and to have victory in that temptation. Jesus fought against the temptation of the devil using the very same exact methods that you and I have available to us. He didn't pull the God card out when Satan came to him. Hey, I'm God, you can't tempt me. No, he was in the flesh. And so how did he respond? He responded through the Spirit of God and by the Word of God. Look at verse 4. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Too often we hear that scripture quoted Man shall not live by bread alone. And then it stopped right there. They, for some reason, they don't include the rest of it. But Jesus knew that, hey, it's not, not by bread alone, but it's by every word of God. And what do you mean by every word of God? I mean the full context of what the word of God declares and proclaims to us. The context of the word of God 
again, growing within our hearts and lives in order that we might know the greatness of who our God is, the greatness of the power that is available through his spirit, that we might know the weaknesses of our own flesh, and that we might know the tactics of the enemy. How do I live? Not just by eating and living and breathing. No, but I live, truly live by understanding and knowing the word of God and applying it to my life in order that I might be able to have victory over the temptation and over the attacks of the enemy. Why? Because I can go back to the very same source that Jesus used when he battled temptation back to the word of God. Our strength comes from God, not through our own abilities, not through our own strengths. It's through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the obedient personal application of the Word of God. Let me give that to you one more time. The obedient personal application of the Word of God in our life. So in other words, it doesn't do that much good just to have it memorized. I've got to be obedient, and I've got to make it personal in my life. This isn't a word that was written just to some 2,000 or 2,500 years ago. No, this is God's word to me today here in this culture, in this time frame, in the battles that I'm going through. I take this word and I understand that is the very source of victory for me is through the word of God and through the spirit of God. And I make it personal, obedient to what it declares personal in my own life and through the application. I apply that word to my life. I see, Lord, that, that, wow, that speaks to me so much. I love it when after preaching the word, and some of you have come up to me afterwards, man, Pastor, you just really, you, you really spoke to my heart today. I want you to know that whenever I'm preaching, whenever I'm teaching, the Lord has spoken to my heart through this word before I come and tried to bring it to you. Because beloved, woe unto me if the word's not speaking to me and I try and make it apply to you. It's got to apply to us the reality and the truth of it in our life. You hungry, Jesus? Turn the stone into bread. That'd be fine. No, no. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So you know what? Round one, Jesus wins. No stones are turned to bread at this point. He didn't do it his way. He did it the Father's way. Verse number five. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I, I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Now this had to be an absolute bizarre twist of events for, for Jesus to actually hear those words coming from the mouth of the one who had at one time been in the heavenlies, not to be worshiped in the heavenlies, but to be a creature of worship to almighty God and to be as a servant of God. You see, that's what the devil once was. In Isaiah chapter 14, we read about the devil's demise. Uh, Isaiah tells us, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, you son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit in the midst of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I will do it my way, in essence. His pride and his desire to be worshipped 
was his downfall. Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel 28, a little bit more of the background. And again, speaking prophetically about Lucifer, about Satan, the devil. Thus says the Lord God, you are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Speaking to Lucifer, speaking to Satan himself. You were in Eden, the garden of God. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliche, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Make us more.